Let me ask a real question. I know preachers sometimes ask questions that you're not supposed to call out or raise your hand about, but I want you to generally raise your hand um, if it is news to you that Christians are to make disciples. Real question, real answer. I want you to raise your hand if it is news to you, if you did not know this, that Christians are to make disciples. Is that news to anyone here? Okay. All right. Probably not. Um, that is like Christianity 101. It's super, super basic. In fact, I want, I want us to start in Matthew 28, um, and I want you to look at it and just see it afresh. We look at this quite often um, because it seems really, really important. This morning, in many ways, is back to the basics. It's going back to some, some fundamentals, and it's actually really important. I heard this great sermon uh, last week that said this, um, that we're to repeat. Like Part of, part of uh, mentoring and discipleship is just repeating things, and so we're going to look at something that's really foundational and fundamental. Um, Let me ask you this, and I want you to kind of tell on your family members, friends, community group, whoever's here that you know, um, I want you to point at people who, who are good at this, okay? I want you to ponder this question. What does it take to be an influencer? Okay, just think about that for a second. What does it take to be an influencer? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to point at the person in this room that you know that is best at doing poses, like duck lips and like this and all that. So go ahead and point to that. I'm going to point over here to Sadie Cook right here. I'm calling her out. I don't even know. I just suspect Sadie might be it. Okay, how about this? Point to the person who is always letting their phone eat before they eat. Who's always posting meals and pictures of their food before that? Okay, we've got mom over here being pointed to by son. Um, yeah. How about this one? Um, who, is it, who is it that the camera just loves? There are some people, it's sickening. They just, they cannot take, I love it. Someone just pointed to themselves, and you're actually right. I agree with that. There are some in our family, it's like, are you kidding me? How do they not ever take a bad picture? That is just the gift of some people. Um, and so these are evidently the people who are influencers. Let me give you a different answer. I think that's all great. I think here's a different answer. Here's what it takes to be an influencer. Ready? It takes a heartbeat. Put your hand over your heart. You feel anything moving? You better. <laughs> if not, we need some help in here. Uh, yeah, there you go. Zach's going right to, the, right to here. He's like, I don't feel it down here. It takes a heartbeat. That's it. Here's the point. Every single person in this room is an influencer. Every one of you. Some are big and brash and loud and have a huge reach, and some don't. But every single person in this room is an influencer. And here's part two of it. Ready for it? Every single person in this room is influenced. Every one of you. This is the nature of how things go. The point is this. People are pliable. People are pliable. Years ago, when I was younger and more creative, um, I did things like this. We all got some, some Play-Doh like this. And this Play-Doh has sat on my desk for the last umpteen years. I didn't pre-take it out. But this has sat on my desk, and it's sort of this visual reminder of whatever I taught on. <laughs> I'm sure it was epic. But I just opened this this morning, and... 
I thought, you know what, I'm going to grab my Play-Doh and just sort of remind myself and remind you, people are pliable. People can change. People can morph. Here's what's really interesting. I actually expected to open this up. Um, ever get that dry, crusty Play-Doh? Not very pliable, right? Anyone know the trick on getting dry, crusty Play-Doh pliable again? Water. Okay, I, I just chuck it and buy new stuff because it's pretty cheap. But probably water would, would, would do that. That's a whole nother sermon, right? It's a whole nother sermon topic to think about. What if I'm the dry, uh, crusty one? I would say this, there's hope for you because people are pliable. We have a saying around here that I absolutely love. I grow more committed to it, I think, every day. It's this, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Why do people stay away from God? Why do people not um, touch Jesus? Why do they stay away and run to other things? Because they think, man, I need to clean up my life. I need to prove my worth. I need to get straightened out first before I go to God. Nonsense. You will never come to God. Come as you are. Church, we have everything as members of this church, as regular attenders of this church, to cultivate and experience for our own heart and for the people that show up brand new, that they really are allowed to be here, come as you are. I knew a church that had this tagline. It said, no perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, you can't come to church. Man, I love that. (laughs) It's just a reminder every single day. Yeah, that's me. I'm allowed in. And so we come needy, we come ready. But don't stay that way. People are pliable. And the fact is, we are influenceable and we influence. Think about people. I actually bumped into my, my barista I know, I know pretty well. Um, I haven't been to Starbucks at Elmwoodin Ranch in maybe since before COVID. I'm not even sure. But I walked in with this idea in mind that people are pliable and people are influenced by other people. And the truth is, the way that I interact with, with any random person, a barista at Starbucks, and the way that they interact with me influences us. The way that, um, that human beings work is, is that we influence people. So think about this. Um, if, if it's true that, that people sort of seep into one another, it stands to reason that the people that you hang out with the most are the people you will begin to look like talk like, think like the most. Everyone thinks, no, I'm an island. I'm sure in myself, I don't, I don't, I'm not influenced by others. Nonsense. That's not true. We see it most acutely in junior high, right at the mall, like you see the goths walking by. I saw this, this kind of gothic looking guy walk by. He was like a neo-goth or something. I'm not sure, but he had black penny fingernails and sitting there with my son, Eli, and he kind of took notice of him. I'm like, did you notice that guy? He goes, yeah. I'm like, let me tell you about the goths. Like, here's their deal, right? And, and that was just sort of a thing. And you sort of see clumps of people that all sort of, they're all individuals, but they look exactly the same, right? Because they shop at the same place and they talk the same way and all that. That's just, that's just the reality that, that we seep off on people. So think about this. Here's an interesting thing, that those you spend time with include in person, but also in books, right? If you read a certain author or blogger, you are, you are going to begin to pick up their ideas and their imagination. You're going to begin to tell stories and think about your story in terms of their story. So books can be really powerful. Um, how about online and on screen? 
You can hang out with people now online and on screen. I remember being fascinated as a youth pastor years and years ago now. I talked to this really introverted kid in our group, and he began talking about his friend whatever, and he said the name. I said, who's that? I said, I've never met him. Has he come to youth group? And he laughed. I'm like, what are you laughing about? He goes, no, he's in Germany. I'm like, oh, okay. This kid played online with this guy all the time. That was like when online gaming was brand new. His few closest friends lived in all over the place, and that was a phenomenon at that time. Now it's like common, normal stuff. So who we hang out with really, really matters. This is huge for our topic today because I am just calling Christians to be actively, diligently, and intentionally discipling. Okay? Actively, diligently, and intentionally discipling. Now the reality is many, if not most in this room, are already doing that. In fact, I would say most within the sound of my voice right now are actively discipling people towards something. You are helping people along in some direction. Now, some people, as soon as I say this, they go, why should I? Now, I might call out the fact that that's just your rebel spirit, right? (laughs) That's the normal thing. Why should I? Why do I have to do this? But since you asked, I'll go ahead and address the question. Um, here's the reason, because Jesus tells you to. We just did a baptism class. In baptism class, point one is this. Why should I get baptized? That's a really great question for the exploring baptism class. Why should I get baptized? Here's what I say. I say, because Jesus tells you to. Class over. Like, we don't need points three, four, five. Like, we don't need anything more. If Jesus tells you to do it, class over. It's kind of a short class. But people tend to stick around, so I'm like, oh, you're still here. Okay, you want a second point? Here it is. Jesus models it. Now class is over. He not only tells us to do it, he went and got baptized. Like, seriously, the the class should be five minutes, but I go on because I think it's good to kind of unpack some of the mysteries that surround baptism. I would say the same is, is true with discipling. Go and make disciples. That should sound really, really familiar to you. You should think I'm plagiarizing someone. I am. His name is Jesus. Go and make disciples. Why should you do it? Because Jesus told you to do it. That's why. Uh, Did he model it? Yeah, he did both of those things. Here's a really powerful concept that's been rolling around my brain is this. The Bible has zero category for a disciple who doesn't disciple. A Christian, a disciple, a follower, all of those are synonyms. They all mean the same thing. All followers, disciples, Christians are to be making followers, Christians, disciples. And if you look at the scriptures, as you see the New Testament unfold, you realize, wow, there really isn't a category of, oh, you're a disciple-making disciple versus oh, you're just a plain old disciple. There is no JV in varsity. We are all called to the team, and to be on the team is to be a discipler. Now, let me just have a little Q&A here. Um, What comes to mind when you hear the word discipleship? This can be good or bad. This can be real, as in this is how I experienced discipleship, or this could be imagined. So again, real question that a real person is asking real people that I want real responses to. You at home can play along by by typing some responses if you'd like. In the back, Brandon. Mentorship. Mentorship. Okay, so you hear the word discipleship and you hear mentorship. Okay, what else? Training. 
Training? Trainee. Trainee. Okay. What else? John? Share the gospel. Okay. James? Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Don't you love that that word discipline has the word disciple in it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'm going to say these out loud just for people at home because we're not, we're not hearing it. But doing life together, by the way, it really helps to take your mask off when you talk. Thank you. Um, doing life together, walking alongside, just sort of in the everydayness of life as well. Yeah. yeah. Lead, by example. Lead by example. Yeah. Prayer. Prayer. Loving, others. Loving others. I see masks coming off. It's like a revival in here. Woohoo! Anyone else? Listening. Listening. Yeah. Okay, man, these are, these are so good. It's, it's rich to stop and think about what, what discipleship looks like, right? And what words kind of come to mind. Sometimes in the church, I think the, I think the church has erred in some ways. In fact, I, I went and Googled discipleship just to see what Google thought of it. Um, much of the time, trainee learning uh, information was heavy. So classroom, Bible study, formal teaching times, and what was less profound and visible was just the everyday walking of life. Um, And I love the word listening. The best discipler is a listening discipler. Man, the best mentor talks less than the the mentee. Is that a word? I don't know. Um, Let me give you a couple that I've used in the past. I remember going to the Cook's house. The Carlsons and Cook's go to each other's house quite a bit. We've thought of digging a tunnel straight to our house. We could put our kids in like one of those pneumatic tunnels and they shoot off like the drive through of old, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm going to the Cook's old house. I make a left on this street all the time, and I remember seeing this baby tree, and it was staked next to this blue metal stake. And I looked at that, I thought, that's discipleship right there. Man, that's discipleship. A stake next to a baby tree. As in, stick with me, baby, right? Like, link our lives together in covenant love. By choice, take those little bands, right? It took, it took a few bands to kind of tie to this, to, this, um, to this life. Strong help is needed for new trees to, go, to grow straight and strong. Man, that's a super cool picture of discipleship. Here's another one. I remember when Cassie first came home from China. She was two years old. And as she walked into our house, it's just one of the most profound pictures to me of the church and discipleship. But I saw our children with utter bubbling excitement take Cassie by the hand and walk her room to room explaining to her what each room was for, what you did in that room, and all these different things. And then they got to her room, and they said, Cassie, this is your room. And these are your very own things. You, these are your shoes. These are yours. And they were just so thrilled by it. Here's what's profound. Cassie had heard English for like two weeks. But the day-to-day rhythm of just living together, doing life together, being invited into a home, meant that she picked up on things. The modeling was the discipleship. Where words failed, which they clearly did for a long time for Cassie, where words failed, 
actions spoke louder than words. She caught on very quickly what you did in various rooms, how you behaved in a family, and all of that. Man, it's just a beautiful picture of discipleship. I want you to look at this image, and I want you to tell me what you see in this picture. What about this, with those words, uh, speaks to you about, about discipleship, about our call to go and make disciples? Okay, there's a child. He appears to, to want to be there. Brandon, get to you next to you. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just looking. What's, what, what's dad doing? He's fishing. He's just doing it. That's right. He's not even, in this moment, he's not even, you know, trying to do anything. He's just, he's doing the behavior and he's being watched. James. It can or can't. It can. Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. Sometimes it's not fun. It can be fun. Man, I, it, maybe this guy hates fishing and he's doing time like community service, but probably he wants to be there. He's fishing, right? He's not in a classroom necessarily. One of the things that I teach new parents or just talk about, I say, listen, invite them into your life. Sometimes new parents can get caught in like building the whole world around baby and then, and then they, they can't sleep anywhere but in a perfectly soundproof dark room. Well, it's like if that's not your life, then don't teach baby that that's how life is. Bring them into your life. What else? Want me to give you a couple? <laughs> I've thought about this for a while. Um, you guys hit on, on some of the things that I, that I thought. Um, fundamentally, it takes doing to disciple. It just takes doing it, right? Like um, he could explain all about fishing. There's something really powerful about the fact that he's out there doing it and the experience of actually being out there. Um, if you've ever fished, you know that your hands at this point are kind of smelly because you put salmon eggs on there or live bait or something, right? Um, and so it just takes doing it. Um, man, just the whole idea that watching is involved, this is really important for, for us as disciples along with those trying to disciple. Patty, go. It takes practice. Yeah, yeah. It's not like one time. Kind of an ongoing thing. Yep. Um, how about just Proximity. Right? I mean, if he's like, here, you go here. I don't want you scaring the fish away because I'm going to get the real work of fishing done. You go here. I'll be at the far end of the pier. I'll check on you in a half an hour. That's different than, hey, come, come up close to me. Come be next to me. Come be near me. Um, proximity doesn't equal um, closeness and community, right? Um, how about patience? Does, this, does discipleship require patience? Yes or no? Yes. Immense amounts of patience. You know why I stink at fishing? I'm not patient. Man, it's so hard. Um, also, one more thing. I'll just give you this image. It helps to kind of clear away the clutter, right? If you, if you remove the background noise, what happens is this. Your, your, your brain, if you can kind of zoom in on what's most important here, this man and maybe his son or a younger person. And if you translate this to Christianity, um, Paul was like a father in the faith to many, many people. And he trained up other people to be a father or mother in the faith to kind of raise people up. I don't know about you, but for me, it takes absolute intentionality to remove the background noise. There's so much that clutters what's most important. Um, 
one of the things that I, I remember reading this somewhere, and the basic gist of it was this. This dad takes his son out to go fishing and then loses sight of what was most important on the fishing trip. What did the dad think? It was about catching fish. It wasn't really about the haul of fish that he set out to take his son fishing on. He lost sight of the goal and in the meantime snapped at his kid because maybe he was being too loud. Snapped at his kid because he wasn't quite doing it right. Snapped at his kid because it was distracting him from what he was trying to do, which was catch fish. You know what he set out to do? Hang out with his kid. Pretty soon the kid hates fishing. Man, the very opposite. That is a normal pattern. Translate that to your thing. You're like, I don't even like fishing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Translate it to whatever you do, that you've tried to invite people in and you lose sight of it. You lose sight of what the main goal is. And that is, man, I just want to spend time with my kid. Okay, let me give you a couple of definitions uh, because I think definitions are helpful. Let me see if I did the right. Yep, I'll just bring it back to here. Um, you can write any of these down, but, but we could talk about what is discipleship, like just to get really clear. I think one person said, uh, one, people define it this way, that discipleship is quite simply following Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus, and discipling is helping others follow Jesus. I think those are pretty good terms. I'm going to give you a different one. Um, I think following is often qualified. Uh, There was a big church that, uh, in the 90s, I feel like this happened a lot, but people would say this, we're about raising up fully devoted followers of Jesus. Why do you think the words fully devoted are qualifying following. Ever think about that? In some ways, if I just read the Bible and I have no context whatsoever, I think just saying a follower of Jesus is is enough. What's Jesus' invitation? Follow me. Man, I love simplicity. I love declutter. I love like making it really, really profoundly simple. But I think it's important to say we're raising up fully devoted followers of Jesus. And here's why. I think because there's such a strong picture in the American church of followers of Jesus, and then fully devoted followers of Jesus. In other words, we tend to tamper with basic, simple followership, discipleship. And we think, well, there's people who are in, again, sort of the the varsity class. There's a lot of Christian labeling without as much Christian doing or thinking. And so I think fully devoted followers is, is getting at that. Here's a definition we like around here, and I think we just stumbled upon this going through the book of Luke, but here it is. Discipleship is hearing and doing what Jesus says. I think you could summarize that by saying following Jesus. Does a follower hear and do what his Lord and Master says? Yeah. But I think follower of Jesus is is sort of washing out. That meaning is sort of washing away. Hearing and doing is really, really profound. And what we saw over and over in the Gospels of Jesus is this idea of hearing and doing paired together, and that equaled obedience, that equaled followership. So if discipleship is hearing and doing what Jesus says, discipling is helping others to hear and do what Jesus says. Make sense? So discipleship is something we are all called to. We are all disciples. And All disciples are called to be discipling. Let's look at Matthew 28 together. If you're there, verse 19, Jesus talking near the end of his ministry says to his disciples, not to the crowds, to Christians, to followers, to those who have 
hear, who, who are hearing and doing what he says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what's interesting. Jesus does not just say, teach them my commandments. He says, teach them to observe or obey my commandments. Man, that's so different. It's one thing to teach your kids about morality, to teach them what's right and wrong, what's beautiful and ugly, what the house rules are. It's a whole nother matter to teach them to obey those rules. Amen? Come on, parents. You've got to give a hearty amen to that one. I'm in the thick of it. It's not enough just to teach the information. It's teach them to observe. So it's not just a follower. It's a fully devoted follower. Man, this is going to take some work. This is going to be done over a lifetime. What we do around this church is geared toward this central idea. We are actively working at all times around this church to keep and cultivate a discipleship, discipling culture. This starts with individuals, but it spills out from there. Christianity is absolutely a personal decision. No one gets saved because their grandparents, parents, or close friends are Christians. We all personally receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But while Christianity is a personal decision, it's not private. We are not called just to our own isolated relationship with God and and leave everyone else alone. All of the one another's in Scripture um, dispel that myth. The simple words um, in this title slide, by the way, disciple for life. Disciple is both a noun and a verb. A disciple is something we are and something we do. So disciple for life, as in this is the path to life. This is what life is all about. You want to find your life? Give it to what Jesus says. Give it away to this, and you're going to find it. And disciple for life means this. Do it over a lifetime. Never stop discipling. Christian, never stop discipling. Here's what I just wrote, because we just sang it. Run to the Father, that song, again and again and again and again. Man, I love that I see the same faces week in and week out here. It's so great. That's part of the spiritual life. You just, you are telling yourself, I meet with God's people every week, formally, for worship. I sit under the teaching of God. I sing the great hymns of the faith. I pray with people. I say hello. I wear a name tag. These are the little rhythms that just over a lifetime, these are the, 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 the rhythms that sort of build our faith. But we run to the Father again and again and again because it's not like my heart needs a surgeon one time and then boom, I'm fixed, I'm healed, I'm ready to go. My heart needs a, soul, a, a surgeon and my soul needs a friend every hour of every day. And here's the kicker, the closer you get to Jesus, the more of a surgeon that you need. It's not actually that you're less holy, it's that you're more aware of your unholiness. It's a weird thing, but you grow hungrier for grace the closer you get to Jesus. Church, I long for us, I long for Christians in this church to be known as repentant people. 
It's not a rare thing that we come and confess our sin, that we are repentant, that we come and bring our junk and we receive the blessed assurance that we have in Jesus Christ that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. This is our story. This is our song. This is why I need to come to church week in and week out. Again and again and again. This is just discipleship. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is what it means to walk with Jesus Christ day after day. You just keep walking. You just keep doing life together, and that's what it is. All right. We haven't gotten to the text yet. Here's our text for this morning. That's all intro. The text for this morning is Colossians 1, 28 to 29. So good. Let me just read it, and then we'll kind of look at it for, for a bit. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let me highlight two words out of this text that really scream what it looks like to disciple someone. If I'm supposed to be discipling, I don't know what that looks like. Him we proclaim. If you have a Bible that you write in or a pad, a, an iPad that you, that you highlight, highlight the word proclaim. Him we proclaim so that we can present. We proclaim so that we can pre- present. What does discipleship look like? What does it mean to disciple someone? Him we proclaim. Jesus is who we look to as disciples. Jesus is who we lift up. Jesus is the one that we talk about. You want to talk about a stake in the ground? He's the ultimate stake. As a disciple, I'm staked to Jesus. I've willingly tied my life to his. I know I'm going to wander. I know storms are going to come. I'm going to keep coming back to what's straight and true and strong. So him we proclaim. How do we do that? We do that in word preaching. We do that in song. We do that in the stories of our life. We do that with our emotions and our pocketbook and our calendars. Isn't it weird? You can proclaim Jesus with your car. Where does your car go? How do you use it? Is it elevated to a status of God? Or is it just a tool that's like, sweet, I get a tool. I get to steward a tool. I'm in line yesterday at Great America, and Kaya kind of nudges me, and she goes, look at that. 1 Corinthians 13 is on the back of someone's shirt. And I said just loud enough for her to hear it. I said, oh, I love seeing Scripture out at Great America. That's cool. She goes, oh, I know that verse. So here we are talking about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? You can proclaim Jesus with your shirt. Him we proclaim goes on to list some very specific ways. We warn and we teach. We're going to get into some of that. But we proclaim that we may present. The goal is maturity in Christ, growing up in Him. I've had a couple of people over the life of the church hate this, but I'm going to say it again. We have no mature disciples in this church. Zero. You don't. What a terrible pastor you are. That may be true, but it's beside the point. Listen. We have no mature disciples in this church, only maturing disciples. I believe this side of eternity, if you label yourself mature, you've stopped growing. 
You don't return again and again and again. Your heart doesn't need a surgeon anymore. You are mature. People always want to know, what's your ratio of your church? Do you have mature disciples or more immature? Doesn't that sound like varsity, junior varsity? That sounds like Pharisee or just peon average person. doesn't have to. But I like the idea of maturing so much better because it indicates that for a lifetime, I will never stop growing in what it means to worship God. For a lifetime, I will never nail community. And for a lifetime, I will never be done evangelizing, sharing my life, sharing my stuff, sharing my energy, toiling for the Lord. We only have maturing disciples here. That's the call that we are calling people to. All discipling maintains an investor's mindset. What is an investor's mindset? It's those who aim for real growth over the long haul, and they don't give up when they don't see immediate results. If you are doing something with an investor's mindset versus something else, you are not sad or, or, you know, or, or, or give up because you don't just see this immediate thing. You understand an investor's mindset. Our goal in discipling is that one day, they would be presented mature in Christ. You know when that day ultimately comes? On judgment day for that person. Man, that, that seriously rewires and reframes maybe some of how we are going about um, helping others hear and do, and even as disciples hearing and doing. Look what it goes on to. It says, I toil. I toil. Man, you want to highlight a life verse. That could be it. I toil. This is going to be hard work. This is a struggle. It's difficult, long work. If this is easy for long, you are doing it wrong. Honestly, like if it's a cakewalk, if you're like, how you been? I don't know, the last six years, easy as, easy as could be. I think you're doing it wrong, honestly. Like I don't think that's the right way. No need to look to make it difficult. I promise you it will come on its own. But if you toil to hear and do what Jesus tells you to in your life, that is just not easy. There are seasons of easy. There are seasons of mountaintop. But they don't tend to last long, at least not in my experience. And then if you decide, I'm going to invest my life, I'm going to give my life away, helping others hear what God says, and then helping them do what he says, man, this is just not easy. For I toil is the right way of saying it. But our effort and our energy are not natural. Such a great passage. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There's the mystery component. There's the renewable source of energy moment. We say around here a lot, we rest in the finished work of Christ. We rest in that again and again and again. Come back to resting in the finished work of Christ. Not so you can do potlucks for the rest of your life. Ugh! Who wants to do that? Please. You don't rest so you can have a little like vacation in Jesus the rest of your life. You rest so that you can strive at the good work he's given you to do. It just sounds so counterintuitive. Rest so I can strive? Yep, that's what I see in the scriptures. But that's hard. Exactly. Wrestle with it. 
Rest in the finished work of Christ. Keep coming back and resting in that. And then that ought to lead you to these leaps of faith, to toiling. It's his energy that's powerfully at work within you. And hear me clearly, at least at bare minimum, the good work God has given you to do, Christian, is to make disciples. It starts there. Well, I don't know what my good work is. There may be other good works to do. God may call you to reach an unpeople, an unreached people's group. God may call you to serve in extremely sacrificial conditions like our Afghan Christian brothers and sisters right now. God may call you to, leave, to lead a revival at your workplace or school. He may call you to some very specific thing, and he does over and over and over again. But at bare minimum, he's calling you to make disciples. I say that with all the authority of Jesus Christ and the scripture behind me. So rest in the finished work so you can strive for the good work. This passage helps nail that idea. All right, so here's the question for you. Don't answer. This is a real question, fake answer, or just ponder. Who and how are you discipling? Who and how are you discipling? Let me get into some requirements. I'm going to talk about some requirements and some warnings. I mean, this could be a 10-week series. It's a really cool thing because there's so much written about this. But let me get to some requirements first. If you're taking notes, write down this. Um, Discipling requires that you walk with God. Discipling requires that you walk with God. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. I had a college intern one time at Valley Church, and he came under me, and I was teaching him college ministry and this and that. And at one point, he goes, uh, we're just talking about his life and what God's calling him to and what he's striving after. He goes, yeah, I really, 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 really want to become a high school teacher. And this kind of took shape over time. And I said, man, you know what? Our time is coming to a close. I have no idea how to be a high school teacher. That's not what I am. I'm a pastor in a local church. You want to become a college pastor or something along those lines, I can help you with that. So we joyfully parted ways soon after that. I said, man, go find someone who's doing this and then be discipled by them. Makes sense. So it is with discipling. An ongoing relationship with Jesus is essential. Do not pass go. Do not keep playing the game if you're not doing that. What does an ongoing relationship with Jesus look like? It means like love for Jesus. It means like submission to Jesus, hunger to hear from Jesus, to please him, to go with him wherever he would lead. Do this and then just start helping others along the the path. Invite them in with you. So that's step number one. Here's Here's another way of saying it. Stop helping people follow Jesus if you aren't. Stop. Doesn't this just seem like fall off the log easy? Has Dave lost it? No. I haven't lost it. I've got scriptural backup for this. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Stop discipling if you don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. Stop it! It's killing the church. It's killing the faith. It's killing the reputation of Jesus in the world. All this labeling of Christianity that isn't Christianity. So just knock it off. 
If this fits you, knock it off. And there's a way of discipling that is completely outside the bounds of, of biblical discipleship. So it requires walking with Jesus. Fundamentally, the most important requirement, Matt, as our newest pastor, me as your pastor, is is our pastor sitting at the feet of Jesus or not? I think the moment that your elders, pastors, that's one office, the moment your, your, your shepherds are not hearing from the chief shepherd, are not walking with him, the church is in real trouble. No matter how gifted they are, no matter how strategic they're being, no matter what the numbers say, there's real problems if the one that you're following, that you're, that you're doing life with and, and sitting under their authority isn't walking with Jesus. So it requires walking with God. Number two, it requires humility. Discipling others requires humility. Let me go to discipleship for a second. Every Christian is just, is just involved in discipleship. It means hearing and doing what Jesus says. Discipleship requires humility. We all come needy or we don't come at all. And again, the more we grow in the grace of God, the more we realize our need for it. Maybe year after year after year, we ought to just make the doors a little bit lower. So each time we come into church, we just have to stoop. Pretty soon, we're just on our knees walking into church. That's the appropriate physical stance. Man, we all enter the same way. We all enter needy again and again and again. So discipleship requires humility, but discipling requires it as well. Let me today, once and for all, dispel the myth that discipling is a prideful thing. Isn't it prideful to like say, hey, come, come and follow me, come and learn from me? It's actually quite the opposite. If you have that perspective, here's what may be troubling you. You may have the myth of the discipler who is sort of the always wise sage, dishing out little tweetable truisms like a vending machine. You come to me, you put a quarter of time in, I will give you a tweetable truism, right? And that's why people don't disciple. You're like, I've got a ton of dad jokes. I don't have anything like true that's good to help people with. I don't know why. I just can't, I can't, I can't do that. So people don't disciple. Let me blow that up and give you actually something just the opposite. Is it prideful to be discipling? No, it's just the opposite. What you are doing as a discipler is inviting people into your life, into close proximity with you. And what happens is this. A Christian is called to transparency and honesty. So if you want to disciple someone, you need to get close enough kid and dad here at the fishing pier, right? You need to get close enough to kind of see what's real. In fact, discipler, you are to lead the way in truthfulness. You are to lead the way in transparency. You know, we all have a Sunday morning life. Some of us maintain strictly a social media life. Isn't it easy to edit parts on our Sunday morning life and social media life to make it pretty flattering to us? Sure it is. Hour and 15 minutes, a little bit of time before, a little bit of time after, piece of cake. Social media? Man, who doesn't, right? Make it look a little bit better than it actually was. 
Let's take that picture again. I need a different angle. Ooh, filters. Nice. Inviting someone into your real life is just to say, hey, come and walk with me in the good and bad of it. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Listen to this. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Stop and think about what's the fruit of this person's life. Not just what he or she says, but what they do, how they think, how they process, how they get to conclusions, how they take two seemingly good choices on the front end, what they do when they've made a bad choice. All of it. Do you see how humbling this is? It's humbling because it's easy, sort of, to be perfect for an hour and 15 minutes once a week. It's impossible to maintain that for very long. Here's what I've come to find. Oh, it says this, by the way, imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of your leader's way of life and imitate their faith. Don't imitate their speech or their dress or the car they drive or what their vision for life is. Imitate their faith. Take what is, is, is godly about them. Look beneath some of the surface of that and imitate their faith. If you sign up for this, and many of you already signed up for this in doing this, God will regularly use your weakness as much as your strength to teach. Amen? Man, you invite someone into the real everyday parts of your life over and over again, blah, like you just spill junk out. And then it's like, uh, remember that pedestal you had me on? I'm not up there anymore. Good, let's get to work. God will use your weakness, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Oh, you're such a hard worker. You're such a godly person. You know the scripture so well. You're so kind to people. You're so consistent. What's going to happen over a lifetime really being close together is, oh, that's God at work in you. That's God doing those things in you. 2 Corinthians 12 goes on to say this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. Pandemics, maybe? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, discipling requires humility. Number three, discipleship requires learning to have meaningful spiritual conversations. Earlier in their week, I said meaningful, I, I, I said spiritual conversations, and then I thought about it, I said, nope, I need to put the word meaningful in there. Discipling people means learning to have meaningful spiritual conversations. The New Testament sees talking and arguing spiritual topics and even good biblical doctrines often as a smokescreen for coming to God. I've discovered this in ministry. Sometimes the people that want to meet most about all these detailed theological intricacies, it comes out later, they were masking and hiding an elephant in the room, an elephant in their life that they hoped I wouldn't discover. Let's talk about the finer points of theology so you don't discover the most basic, fundamental way I am lacking repenting of my sin in my life. So don't just look to have spiritual conversations. People do that all day long. Specifically, the prophets have said, stop. Stop all of that. It's all meaningless. 
All that's a smokescreen keeping you at arm's length from what I really want, which is repentance and a relationship. So talk about the job. Talk about your team. Cowboys almost did it, Lucas. Come on, man. Talk about your kids, your vacation, your car. Talk about that stuff. That's important. But please learn to have meaningful spiritual conversations. Do you know why we're so invested in community groups? That's a place to do it. That's a formal place that we are going to intentionally think back on our time Sunday and not just talk about the text, which we will. Man, Colossians 1, 20 to 29, you're going to have lots to talk about this week. But also the sermon. Hey, what did Dave bring to that? What did the preacher say? Did you agree with that? That was an interesting word picture. Uh, da, 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 da. We'll also talk about the singing. Man, you guys were moved by the sermon or by the text. It was that last song that undid me. I don't know what happened. God grabbed hold of me and brought, brought to light something I've been just kind of glossing over. Other people will say, man, I, I didn't catch any of that. The way that I was welcomed and received by someone who I see every single week, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I have a precious treasure in this humble little group of people that meet every week and look to Jesus and are assured by Jesus. In fact, God spoke to me through my brother or sister because they just, they just assured me that Jesus loved me. I just need that so much. So learn to have meaningful spiritual conversations. And CGs are a great place to grow in this. As you hear people not just talk about Sunday, but then the particulars of how it, um, it intersects and interacts with their own week, their own story. New Christians, you're able to learn from that and go, wow, that's an interesting way of looking at that. That sounds like the scriptures were speaking directly to your day. By the way, yesterday morning, God woke me up early and spoke directly to me through the scriptures, through a Bible reading program that I, I just told myself I would do in January. Very specifically, very humbling, very painful. And direct action was taken yesterday, and it literally changed my life. That's a miracle. You know what Fleshly Dave wants to do on Saturday morning? Not that. Like a lot of other things, but not that. And that's just the way of a disciple. Number four, it requires seeing people as people and not projects. True love is not a transaction. You don't give to a person so you can have the title mentor. Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, one of my favorite movies, Jim Carrey plays all these different characters, but he's Count Olaf, and at one point he goes, oops, you got me being a mentor. And he's like all excited that, you know, he was, he was putting on a role. And I thought, wow, that's, that's totally people. That's the flesh. That's the pride of life. We love it when people come to us for advice. We love that. That feeds something in us. Sometimes what happens is it can start off really pure and then you begin to manipulate your life in such a way that, that, you, that you need that little dopamine heat of, of, of people coming to you for advice or you like the idea of being a mentor. Man, this just requires over and over genuinely loving people. I pray regularly in this position. I pray regularly, God, give me a supernatural love for the people I'm talking to this morning. You want more than my natural fleshly Dave love because honestly, it's just not enough. When I go speak to strangers, I, I just, I, same thing, I just, I'm, driving, I'm just pleading with God, God, help me see them as you do. Help me just love these people. And he answers that prayer. Let me tell you something about 
discipling, and you know this, parents. Someone said once that kids make a terrible God because they grow up and move away. You make your life about your children. What about when, when they choose against your will, against God, and do their own thing? Sometimes parents are left utterly shattered with that. They don't know what to do with that. Man, my identity was in, in these things. The same is true. You want, to, you want to disciple in the Silicon Valley? You know what happens? They move away. They leave. I got a call this week from Allie Humphrey. So good. It was just a random out-of-the-blue call. And she's, I said, Allie, I actually thought I saw you at church this last Sunday. It's weird that you called. I, saw, I thought I saw you in the back. And we have Jonathan who lived in Mexico for years and would show up at church. It didn't seem that outlandish. Texas, San Jose, you know, it's a pretty sweet church. Like She, she could have come here from Texas. She goes, I was at church on Sunday. You couldn't see me, but I was there. We got home late, and we actually tuned in. We loved getting to just see our home church. I know, we'll find a church there, Dave, but it was fun to, to actually be at, at church. Allie and James are, are typical, not atypical. They are typical of this valley. People come for a season, and then they leave. Here's the point. Remain really open-handed in your discipling love for other people. They're not your projects. Your kids are not yours, right? They're God's, ultimately. So it, it, it causes us to be open-handed in our love, our time, our investment. There's tons of people. I have a prayer list that's growing a mile long, gone but not forgotten. I pray for them regularly, but now they're all these different places. They're gone. More are leaving every day. And so what I, what I say on the one hand is be open-handed, but on the other hand, be urgent. You don't know how long someone's going to be in your life. There's a relatively new family, and they're jumping right into a community group, and I love that because it's like, I don't know if we're going to be together in this season for five minutes or five years, but let's get after it. Time is short. God may call one of us to a different place, and we seem to click and connect. Let's just get after this in love for Jesus. All right, let me, uh, let me very quickly go through some warnings, and then uh, the band, you're going to close up with one song, okay? Warnings, here we go. <laughs> I mean, this pastor's going long. All right. Warning number one. Oh, there can be so many warnings. I'll just give you two. You will work like an actual farmer, not a metaphorical farmer. Which is kind of interesting because it is metaphor. None of us are actually doing it. But you will work really long, hard hours without immediate or obvious results. Sometimes for years. You will not be cheered on in your discipling efforts most days. Anyone an actual farmer in here? Okay. It's my understanding that dirt does not applaud you. Dirt does not cheer you on. You got this, farmer. Thanks for working me. Thank you. Never. You know what dirt does? It stains your clothes. That's it. That's what dirt does. Man, that's a really apt picture for discipling. You will plant, trusting that the seeds you are planting will spring to life in due season. That will require and it will test your patience. It will test your motivation. It will test your faith. It will will test your dependence. We do our part, which is to plant and till and protect and cheer and nurture and water. And frankly, sometimes just stay out of the way. Let the sunlight do its work. Quit hovering. You're killing that plant. And then we will cheer that God's going to do all of his part. Number two, this is risky. 
you want to disciple, it's risky. It requires initiation. Hear me, this might be the biggest sticking point. Don't watch the band go up. You've seen it before. You'll see it next week. Pay attention. Discipling requires initiation. People come to me all the time. Dave, I want a disciple. Can you find me some disciples? Can you get me a class? I've got stuff to share. No. Go and make disciples. Christian. That's for all of us. There's no mediator there. There's no have your pastor get some disciples for you and hand them off to you. That's not how it works. Go and make disciples. Now, for extroverts like me, that part isn't that scary. For introverts like my wife, that part is scary. It is not passive to be a discipler. Parents, do not have your hands off of your children, hoping they will just find their way. That is an insane, ludicrous, now popular way of parenting. I don't want to tell what gender my kid is. I'm going to give them toys and trucks and dresses and dolls and let them pick. That's insane on many, many levels. It's wicked on many, many levels. Don't do that with the rest of their life either. Don't do that with Christians around here, hoping that they will sort of find their way. You will toil and struggle in love for another, and you will be told by that person how unloving you are. Possibly how unavailable and lazy you are. Parents, you know this. Parents of teenagers. Parents of toddlers, they tell you it in a different way. Colossians 1 just brings up a partial list, but these involve risk. Teaching everything Jesus taught? Warning? People don't like to be taught. People don't like to be warned. Countering people with truth is really hard. Another thing I get as the pastor is this. You should talk to this person. I caught them doing that. I say, Matthew 18 says, have the courage to speak the truth in love to one another. They might hear it and receive it from you in a different way. Go follow the process. Then if that doesn't work, there's other things we can do. Sometimes being the safe relationship in a person's life means you get barfed on left and right. It's actually good. It's that that they feel safe with you. That's a positive thing, but it's not fun. Following through is risky. Having your counsel and your relationship rejected is risky. 